I don't have a problem with getting hauled to jail or anything else. If I know in the end, I'm going to get to take that cop's house from him. Welcome to Felony Friday, a presentation of the Lions of Liberty podcast. Here is your host, John Odermatt. Felons, friends, and freedom lovers, thank you once again for tuning in for another episode of Felony Friday right here on the Lions of Liberty podcast. Felony Friday is a weekly show where we strive to expose injustice in the broken criminal justice system. And I'm going to be introducing a very interesting guest very shortly here. But before I do that, I just want to remind our listeners, our Felony Friday audience, of a way that you guys can support the Lions of Liberty podcast. You can do this by doing all of your Amazon shopping, everything you buy on Amazon. You can shop through our affiliate Amazon link. You can find this link at lionsofliberty.com Amazon. And anything you buy through that link, there's no extra charge to you in any way whatsoever. But we do get a little bit of a kickback here at Lions of Liberty to help to keep the lights on. And uh, second of all, of course, this is the 34th episode of Felony Friday. So, you know, that means you can find these show notes for today's show at lionsofliberty.com slash FF34. And you can find links to everything that my guests and I are going to talk about today. And my guest today is Eddie Craig. Many of you probably who maybe listened to the Tom Woods show probably heard Eddie's interview on that show uh, probably several weeks ago now where he talked about in depth about what to do and what not to do when the police pull you over. Eddie is a former Air Force veteran. He's a former deputy sheriff and is now the co-host of Rule of Law Radio. Eddie, welcome to Felony Friday. Thank you for having me. Well, thank you for coming on the show. And this is a, a very important topic. And I know that I really enjoyed your conversation with Tom Woods. And I'm really looking forward to maybe asking some questions he didn't ask and getting a little bit different perspective on it about the do's and don'ts of getting pulled over by police officers. But before we do that, on Felony Friday, what I'd like to do is I'd like our audience to get to know you a little bit better, to get to know the guest a little bit better, to know where you're coming from. So you're a former police officer. You're a Air Force veteran. So I guess, first of all, what got you started down that path of wanting to join the Air Force? Well, Air Force at the time was given a lot of good technical training and things that I needed to get into. I actually wanted to do computers as a career, which I wound up doing eventually anyway. But the Air Force seemed like a good place to get the training for that. But I never actually managed to get into that career field. It was sealed up by the time I got in there as far as uh, they had the proper head count and weren't allowing anyone else in. So I had to take an alternative which eventually transferred over into working on avionics and electronics on fighter aircraft. So how long did you serve in the Air Force? 14 years. 14 years. And then after you got out, did, was it a pretty quick transition to becoming a police officer? No, I actually got out and tried to start up a computer business, which in my small hometown was very difficult to do at that time because computers were not ubiquitous in homes yet. They were pretty much just business tools in that day. What time frame was this? Uh, this was in the, the late 80s. How'd you get attracted to and, and evolve into, into wanting to become a police officer? Well, I'd always, uh, even when I was a kid, I'd always wanted to eventually become a Texas Ranger. So county sheriff's uh, deputy was one of those stepping stones necessary to getting there. So I uh, went down and applied for a job at the uh, local jail in the sheriff's office, and I became a jailer and a deputy. And served there for just long enough to find out that uh, I was working for a bigger crook than anybody we had locked up. 
And why is that? He was not exactly what you'd call above board on the things that he did, the way he did things, how he did things. He was just one of those people that really should never have been allowed in a public office, but he was due to an old boys club. Is that something that you think or you've seen through your experience as a cop and meeting other police officers? Is that something that's All of the common? above. My mother actually grew up with the man that was sheriff when I was working there. And she had already told me a lot about the things that she had seen when she was growing up with him. And then some of the things that I saw put into practice while I was actually working there. So is that what led to your leaving the police force, that experience? Or was there one specific event that triggered you? There was a specific event where my duty sergeant, who was absolutely computer illiterate, was using county property for his own personal gain. He was using the booking computer and camera to do his resumes and photos for job applications in the big city departments of Dallas and Houston. And while he was doing that, he crashed the booking computer because he didn't know what he was doing. I didn't know at that moment what he had been doing when he came to me and asked me if I could figure out what the problem was. And I went and I looked at it and yeah, I I could fix the problem, but I'd have to go home first and pick up some computer disks to do that. Well, he went ahead and said that he would let the supervisors know what was going on with the booking computer. And I went home to get the stuff I needed to fix it. And while I was gone, he told them that I was the one that had crashed the computer. Wow. Even though when I got back, the first thing I did was I went in there and I looked and that's when I discovered his photos and his resumes on the computer. But they didn't want to hear that the guy that had been there for 10 years was stealing from the county and embezzling from the people for his own personal gain. They had too much money invested in him. So they made me the scapegoat and bought his story, even though I had the evidence to prove the contrary. So did you leave the police force right after that or what what, what happened then? I got out and went back into the air force for a while, worked over at Barksdale. And, uh, I was in the last graduating electronics class from Lowry up in Colorado before they closed the base and, uh, did a lot of time working at, um, the air national guard base there, Buckley inside of Denver as well as down in Colorado Springs at the Air Force Academy. And after that, I became a full-time computer consultant up there and traveled all over the U.S. for a while doing large-scale corporate projects, Y2K projects, and things like that, and then finally came back home to Nacogdoches and started a computer business. So how did you first get involved with you know really looking at what you do now? And you can correct me if I'm wrong with Rule of Law Radio, is you guys are really looking at the statutes and the way that the authorities, police officers are taking advantage of people's rights. How did you get involved in or get, I guess, get inspired to start looking into that stuff? Well, there was two major events for that. The first was the county tax assessor was illegally assessing taxes against my mother's property. And, uh, at the time I was still working as a computer consultant. When this became known to me, they were trying to take her land on back taxes that she didn't owe. And so I started going through the statutes on the property tax and finding out that they were not doing anything the law required them to do. And they were making fraudulent assessments against people's property. They were just sending them a tax bill without ever doing the things that the tax code said they had to do before they could ever send that tax bill. So I went down and confronted the, uh, county tax assessor over it and told him that I had the money and the ability to sue them for as long as it took to get this corrected and to make sure that he was held personally responsible. After that, they never sent my mother another tax bill. 
Then later on, when I was doing my computer business, the state of Texas tried to force me to be a tax collector for them without paying me, and I refused to do it. They wanted me to use a sales tax certificate to uh, collect sales tax on my property that I sold to the public and act as their tax collector for it at my own expense, and I refused to do it. And they started SWAT raiding my computer business until they finally scared off all of my customers and everything. But that also got me into studying the law a lot deeper to find out that they were using the sales tax fraudulently, just like they were using the property tax fraudulently. In what way were they using the sales tax fraudulently? They were making you collect the sales tax. Is that pretty standard? I I think that's how they do it. Yeah, how they do it and what they're actually allowed to do. And none of it was matching up. And Randy Kelton became impressed with the way that I was digging into this and how quickly I was able to put it all together and see what I saw and actually make a a good argument with it based upon the law itself. And so he invited me onto the show and I've been here since I believe either 2007 or 2008. Okay. And I guess if if you could sum up rule of law radio, what is it that you guys, what's your mission? Well, it's various. We help people with legal issues when and where we can, if it's something that we can do. We help them understand the statutes uh, that they're being accosted with, charged under, deprived of rights with, you name it. Uh, Our job as we see it is to become fully informed on what the law is so that we can help people use it to defend themselves against attacks from the state and local governments. Okay, so people can actually, they can call into the show or email the show and let you know their problems and you guys will dig into it and and give them an answer on the air? If it's something that we can access right there on the air, yes. My show is on Monday nights from 8 to 10 and most of it is spent answering phone calls for people. They'll call in and let me know how their cases are going and ask what they should do next and things like that. And so we'll give them information about, well, go check this, go check this, and this should be the next step in the process and go from there. Well, that's an awesome service. That is a, that's a, a talk show that actually gets things done. I, I like that. Well, thank you. I did want to pivot here a little bit, and I do want to talk about what you talked about on the Tom Woods Show, interaction with police. And there's a script that you put together. I think it can be found at, correct me if I'm wrong, it's logosradionetwork.com slash T-A-O. And uh, there's a script there, very extensive. And uh, I do want to ask you, I guess first, before we get started talking about the script, where did the the drive to put this together come from? Was this just a, a body of work over time that you kind of accumulated, or was there you know some incidents that triggered you to want to put this together? Well, while I was working as a deputy sheriff, I was also studying the statutes for law enforcement. Uh, unlike most law enforcement, I don't just take what I'm taught by someone or in a classroom. I tend to want to see things for myself. And I found out that a lot of the things they were using in the transportation code, like everything else, they are fraudulently applying to the general public and they are using it to deprive the individuals of their rights. They're using statutes to say, you have to waive your right and provide this information. You have to waive your right and let them do this and blah, blah, blah. And I don't see how statutes can do that. So the script is an embodiment of Supreme court case law, United States Supreme court case law on individual rights, even in cases where the state is demanding that you answer questions or produce documents, you have the right to remain silent if they can charge you with a crime for the information they get from you. 
And here in Texas, that's exactly how they treat these administrative statutes as if they're crimes. And they use that to steal money from you and everything else. So the script is a collective works of case law interpretations on the right to remain silent, the right to demand uh, legal counsel and anything else before you answer questions or provide any information to the police or the government in general. So that's what the script is for, to teach you what your rights are, even in a traffic stop, if your state treats it as a criminal activity. Okay, let's talk through a hypothetical traffic stop, and maybe you can help to pinpoint the area where me is, I'll be the person that, that you're pulling over, where I first give up my rights. So let's say I'm you know, driving down the road, the lights come on behind me, I pull over, you come up to the window, and you would say something like what? Excuse me, sir. Do you know why I pulled you over today? Uh, no, I don't. Well, you were going 70 in a 60 back there and I clocked you doing that. And so I need to see your license registration and proof of financial responsibility, please. Okay. I'm digging around my glove compartment. I hand that over to you. Okay. There's your first mistake. You produced information that can be used to potentially incriminate you in some way or be used against you in a court of law. You did not invoke your right to remain silent. The proper response to the officer would have been, officer, can any of the information you're demanding from me be used against me in a court of law to potentially incriminate me in any way? What would an officer traditionally say there? Well, that depends. Each one of them, this is the only other thing the script has to make sure you understand is that every officer is different. There are those that are on power trips and think you have to do anything they tell you regardless of what it is, and that if you say anything that isn't compliant, that you're somehow resisting or confronting them or challenging them. So it, it can vary. What should happen is, well, yes, sir, I can use that against you, but the statute says you have to produce it. Again, your proper response to that statement would be, officer, are you asserting that a statute can compel me to waive a fundamentally protected right to comply with your demand? Everything about this statutory scheme is to get you to the point where you're willing to waive that right just to make things easier on yourself. And that right there is a fraudulent use of the police power to deprive you of those rights. And so the script is to help you understand why you're doing these things. And if you follow it and do what it says, it makes it evident to others, like a jury, for example, or a court why you're doing what you're doing. I can definitely see situations where this would, if you do, and just like you were saying, depends on the personality of the cop, maybe if they're having a bad day or not, how they're going to react to something like that. But I, I could see situations where it could escalate, where the police officer might get belligerent. Is there a point in time where, you know, you're doing this to protect your own individual rights? I understand that. And, you know, Depending on the scenario, I may or may not follow this script. But regardless of that, is there a point in time where you just give in to it if you're fearing your own safety? The script is very clear on that. You are the only person there that can make the determination as to how far this cop is likely willing to go. So you have to make that decision based upon what's in front of you. Now, me personally, I don't have a problem with getting hauled to jail or anything else if I know in the end, I'm going to get to take that cop's house from him because I can use the law effectively to show he had no authority to do what he did. And the only reason he arrested me was because I invoked a fundamentally protected right and he didn't like it. 
So you have to decide whether or not that fight is worth it for you as an individual. No one can tell you what risk you're willing to take. That's a really interesting. I just want to backtrack. You just mentioned that you would be able to take a cop's house if they do essentially violate your rights. So I guess two-part question. Have you seen that happen with people using the script where they're able to, I don't know, sue police officers for violating their rights? Oh, absolutely. Here in Texas, there is tons of case law on the books, for instance, When a police officer arrests you on a traffic infraction here in Texas, by law, it is mandatory that he take you immediately before a magistrate. They are not allowed to take you to a jail cell here for a traffic stop, but they do it all the time. But the case law here in Texas throughout our history has always shown that the moment the officer does that, he is guilty of false imprisonment and official misconduct because the law clearly instructed him to take the individual before a magistrate who could neutrally determine whether or not incarceration was something that was lawful. The officer has no power to make that determination, not in any state. They're the accuser. How does it look when both the the accuser can also determine whether or not you should go to jail? That's exactly why they're required to take you before a magistrate who can examine the facts independently and make a determination legally as to whether or not a commitment order is required to put you in jail or they have to release you on a PR bond or whatever. It's not the officer's choice. So that's Texas law, but it's actually true in most states. In most states, that's the law. But the problem is, is people don't know it and people don't make the effort to go after the cop for doing it. They'd rather just put it behind them and go on. That's why they continue to get away with this stuff and why they continue to do it because they're not being made to pay for the consequences of their actions. I think at least from my perspective, and probably a lot of people would agree that they're just looking for ease of continuing on about their daily life. But you have to remember, you are sacrificing rights. And I think, you know, that's something what you just talked about there with being able to sue police officers and them having to take you before a magistrate first. I think that changes the game because that gives you some incentive that your rights have been violated and you're able to get something in return, possibly. So, I mean, I I think you kind of have to weigh your options when you do get pulled over. Yeah, it really just depends on how far you're willing to go and the time you're willing to take to learn to do this. The thing that we teach people the most is how to do things for themselves without using an attorney. And there are many reasons for that. Attorneys by their very nature are dishonest individuals. They're there for mainly, at least when it comes to criminal law, your defense attorney's goal is one thing and one thing only to ensure that you do not have appealable error. Now you understand that it is not to defend you. It is not to get you off of the charges. It is to ensure that once you've been convicted, you don't have any appealable error to go forward with. Can you explain what that means exactly, appealable error? Appealable error is something that you can take to an appellate court to say, hey, my conviction should be overturned because, and then you've got legal facts that justify the overturning of the case against you, or at least changing the punishment or something, something that would alter the way the outcome of the case was. Here we're talking about an attorney whose sole job is to ensure that you have no way to make that claim. In other words, he's actually working for the other side. And the way he does this most of the time is he starts by waiving 
your most fundamental rights right out of the gate. For instance, are you aware that when you go into a court and you enter a plea in a case like this, especially in a case where it's considered criminal, like it is here, when you go in and enter a plea, you have waived no less than three very important fundamental due process rights. You have waived the right to notice. You have waived the right to challenge in personam jurisdiction, which is jurisdiction over your person. And you have waived the right to challenge the form and substance of the charging instrument and the indictment or information, uh, the complaint, the indictment or information. So just by entering that plea, which they attempt to coerce you to do through threats of issuing a warrant if you don't do it and things of that nature, they're trying to get you to waive those rights so that you don't have appealable error on their failure to follow procedure. So what are you supposed to do in that circumstance? Well, you challenge the court. First off, if they haven't filed the proper documentation, the court lacks jurisdiction to be doing anything, including taking and entering a plea on the record. But they do it all the time because people don't know to challenge them on it. Hmm. That's really fascinating. A lot of this system gets away by fraudulent means. They do what they do by not fully disclosing the consequences of your action. Why would lawyers be working, I guess, essentially, as you said, for the other side to get you to enter this plea to waive those rights? What's the benefit to the lawyer there? More money. It's a very simple process. Most criminal defense attorneys that are doing public defender work get paid a flat fee for what they do. Let's say it's 350 bucks. If he has to spend 20 hours on your case and his normal billing rate is 250 an hour, he's losing money by fighting for you, isn't he? Yeah. Okay. So if all he can do is walk into that court and say, we plead guilty or we plead not guilty, please set it for a jury trial and walk out again. He spent two whole minutes on your case and he's still getting 350 bucks. So right now he's 58 minutes and another hundred dollars ahead by that type of defense work. The more time and effort he has to put into your case, the less he profits of that 350. Now, are there lawyers out there that you're aware of that do this correctly, that advise you not to enter the plea, that advise you not to waive your rights? No, I have never seen an attorney tell their client, we can't enter a plea. They haven't given us a charging instrument. They haven't given us an indictment or an information or even a complaint. We're not going to enter a plea. They'll go in and plea regardless if you've got legal counsel and they immediately waive your rights by doing that. I have hmm. never in my entire time of doing this ever seen someone's defense attorney challenge the form and substance of a complaint, challenge the jurisdiction of the court to prosecute the case, nothing. Wow. This is a great conversation. I think this is great content for our listeners. This is stuff that I wasn't aware of. I'm, I'm sure our listeners are not aware also getting a little bit off track, but I, I don't mind because I like this so much. I do want to pivot back just for a second here to talk about the transcript, the what you do when you get pulled over. And you do have several do's and don'ts listed of what to do and what not to do. We did talk about the, you know, not handing over your license, identification, all that stuff. What other things are most important to do when you're getting pulled over and what not to do? The primary thing is always be recording the encounter, preferably on video, but at least audio. You want to record everything. 
the moment you realize there's a cop even anywhere behind you, start a recording. Even if he hadn't turned his lights on or you're not sure he's after you, start a recording that says where you are, the time of day, what type of officers behind you, if you can tell what it is and so on and so forth. And you keep recording that conversation and encounter the whole way through. That's your primary thing. The second thing is, is make sure that you've rolled your windows down. Then you roll them all back up, except for the one next to you and leave it down. No more than two inches. No more than that. This both airs out the car. It depressurizes the car and it makes sure that the officer can't come up and claim that he smells something just so he can try to escalate this stop. Why does that prevent the officer from saying they can smell something? Just Well, because he's going to have a hard time explaining how he smelled anything inside that car when his face is three feet away from the window and the crack in the window is only two inches wide. I got you. I thought you were talking about the rolling down of the windows. No, you roll them back up. up. Before you even stop, you roll the windows down. Before you've even come to a stop, then you immediately roll them all back up except for the one next to you. As long as you don't close all the windows, the car can't repressurize. So that means when you roll your window down, if it's pressurized, it's going to blow air out of that crack, isn't it? Yeah. Which he could then honestly say he could smell something. But if you make your recording saying, okay, I've rolled all my windows down. I've depressurized my car. I've rolled up all my windows except the one next to me. And I'm now rolling that one up till it's about two inches wide. All of this is on your recording, which would negate the officer's ability to tell a lie about smelling something. Yeah, it's definitely a good point. You know, one thing I did want to ask you about, and this has been in the news recently with the police shootings up in Minnesota with a a guy who had a concealed weapon, I think was carrying it legally. If you get pulled over by a police officer, you're carrying concealed. Um, You know, police officers will tell you, I I just saw a thing on the spot on the news where police officers were saying the first thing you do if you're carrying concealed is, you know, keep your hands on the steering wheel and tell them that you're carrying a, uh, a firearm and you have a license. Is that what you should do if you do get pulled over and you are concealed carrying? Well, if you accepted the license, you accepted the terms of the license, which means you have to do that. I, for one, don't use a license to do something I have every right to do anyway. I mean, can you expand on that a little bit? The Second Amendment is our right to carry permit. No matter what the government tries to tell you, that is a fundamental right to self-preservation, whether you're in public or private. That's why open constitutional carry should be in every state as well as concealed constitutional carry. Here in Texas, we also have a law on the books that when you're traveling in your car, it is perfectly legal to have guns in the car with you. Always has been. So you're not required to tell the cop unless you're actually carrying it on your person with a license that you're concealed anything because it's none of their business. All you're doing there is giving them a way to prolong the stop. The more information you give them, the more they can use to fish. And that's just the way they do it. The thing you have to understand about every traffic stop is this. The officer's goal, no matter what the reason he pulled you over, is to attempt to escalate that stop from a traffic stop to either a DUI or a drug bust. That is exactly why he asked you the questions he asked you. Where you been? Where you going? You had anything to drink? You got anything in the car I should know about? You want to admit to me for? Uh, am I going to have to call a dog? Are you willing to talk to me? Blah, blah, blah. 
All of this is an effort to escalate that from a mere traffic stop to something much more serious. He's after a career improvement, no matter what it does to your life. Is that something that you know from experience? Is that something that is taught at like police academies or is, is this? Oh, absolutely. Just- They're taught exactly how to start questioning an individual. And if they get certain keywords out of this individual, like, yeah, I've had something to drink. Oh, really? Okay. Well, how many? I had four. Well, what were they? Ice teas. Thank you very much. Yeah. They're always there trying to find a way to do that. And they're being taught to listen for certain things that people say that will allow them to attach it to something worse. Yeah. So how should you respond if the officer does say, would they come up to your window? Say you even do it properly, you air your car out, you just have it open that, that two inches. If they do say, I smell marijuana coming out of your car and you haven't been you know, smoking marijuana or anything, what's the proper response there? Officer, that is a bald-faced lie. Are you attempting to escalate this to a drug bust or a DUI by making false statements into the record and false allegations against me? And then the officer says, no, I smell marijuana. Get out of the car. I don't know what they'll say next. Officer, call a supervisor. I believe you're attempting to fabricate probable cause to conduct an illegal search. And then you just stick to that line. You stay in that car. You stick to that line. Officer, call a supervisor. Officer, I demand the right to call my legal counsel. See, that's the other thing they don't bother to tell you is you have the right to counsel anytime you've encountered the police. Anytime. And you don't have to say a word to these guys. That's why these idiotic orders of, I want you to roll the window all the way down. I can't hear you. You're not required to even talk to them. So it doesn't matter if they can hear you, but they can hear you just fine through that two inch crack, regardless of what they say. And what they're trying to do is get it where they can plausibly say, I smell something. Yeah. I think from my perspective, the biggest thing with this script, the biggest thing with your advice on proper interaction with police And you talk about this in the script. It's something that should be memorized. It's something you should know where to jump to in the script, how to respond. It's not something you want to be, you know, really, you know, read actually reading off and uh, and referencing right there when you're talking with the police officer. So from my perspective, I think the biggest thing is just memorizing this and just having the confidence that knowing what you're saying is right. You're not doing anything wrong by not giving in to their demands. I would advise my listeners, first of all, to read the script and to learn it. And uh, can you tell them where they can find it? Yeah, again, the website you mentioned, the uh, logosradionetwork.com forward slash T-A-O is where the script can be downloaded. And yeah, the script, the part you actually have to memorize is actually very small out of the entire thing. The script, I believe, is seven pages long. You don't have to memorize all seven pages. You just have to memorize the parts that you actually have to say. The rest of that is information describing why you're doing what you're doing, what to look for, what to listen for, what to do, what not to do. Okay. But the far as the speaking parts, they're actually pretty minimal. Just some of them can be lengthy because you're trying to cover the bases on invoking your rights, demanding your rights and protecting your rights. And that's the one thing you have to remember at any encounter with police invoke, demand, protect. The moment you fail to do that is the moment your rights are gone and you cannot get them back later. Eddie, thank you so much for coming on the show. Can you share with the Felony Friday audience where they can find Rule of Law Radio, where they can find out more about any other stuff that you're working on or how to contact you on social media? Absolutely. I have a legal blog, which is Tao of Law, T-A-O-O-F-L-A-W, 
www.wordpress.com. You can also go to ruleoflawradio.com or logosradionetwork.com and listen to our radio archives as well as our actual live shows. My show is live on Monday nights from 8 to 10 p.m. Central Standard Time. And uh, all the information on how to contact us. I also have a Facebook account, which is Tau Law, T-A-O space L-A-U-W. And I post events on there for the show as well as for my Sunday class at Brave New Books here in Austin, where I teach people legal due process and how to go to court and fight for themselves. Well, thank you so much for all that you do, Eddie. I really do appreciate you coming on Felony Friday and sharing this very important content. Yes, sir. Thank you for having me. Thank you to the Felony Friday audience once again for listening today. I really do appreciate it. I'm just going to go out on a limb here and just assume that you guys probably learned as much from Eddie Craig as I did. What a knowledgeable and extremely passionate guest. I mean, the passion was just overwhelming and I loved every second of it. You know, this is an episode that I'm pretty sure I'm going to be listening back to a couple times. There's so much great content and the different ways he sets up the scenarios and talks about the proper way to respond, I think is just so, so valuable. I think I'll definitely be taking the time to learn and to memorize Eddie's script. And for me, you know, hopefully I don't have to use it. And I'm not sure if I would use it in all circumstances. In fact, I can probably say with confidence that I wouldn't. If, uh, you know, if I'm driving along with my wife and daughter in their car, I'm probably just going to hand over my license and registration, try to de-escalate that situation. I don't want to make it scary for my daughter or make it any any worse than it could be. But if I'm driving along alone, this will probably be something that I would use to defend my rights. And I think the most important thing is to, with Eddie's script, is to learn it, know the ins and outs of it, and to have the confidence to be able to use it. You know, I want to know the proper things to say in order to defend my rights to the fullest extent. And that's what Eddie's all about. And that's why I was so happy to get him to be able to come on the show today. And as you guys know, the goal of this show is to shine a light on injustice in the criminal justice system. And the reason I wanted to have Eddie on, you know, I feel like a big part of that is being able to identify when your rights are being violated in the first place. You know, a lot of the times we, we just give up, give up our rights every day and we don't know it and we're not aware of it. So a big part of it is just knowing that awareness. And I think Eddie does an incredible job of shining a light on those aspects where we are just ceding our rights and just giving them up. So guys, if you did enjoy this show, the best way that we can grow this show, and we do want to grow this show, we want it to be bigger, we want it to be better, and we want to expand it someday. So maybe it'll be four shows or five shows. And so if you like what you're hearing, please help us to expand the show by sharing it. And if you aren't already following us on Facebook or Twitter, please go ahead and do that. Follow on Twitter, like on Facebook. You can find us uh, just by searching on those sites, search Lions of Liberty, and follow us. And then share it with your networks, please. I'm sure if you found this valuable, there's people in your network also who will find this information very valuable as well. And also, we do have a private Facebook group that is really growing And we have a lot of great conversations going on there every single day. So please, I encourage you, if you want to, if you want to join the conversation, to check that out. You can join the private Facebook group by searching Lions of Liberty Forum on Facebook. Click join and we'll get you approved as quick as we can. It does help us, though, to expedite that a little bit if we see that you got some Liberty postings on your wall or you do have some mutual friends in the Liberty movement. So that would make it easier. You might get approved a little bit faster. So think about that. 
We do have three shows per week here at Lions of Liberty for those of you that are new to Lions of Liberty podcast. Every Monday, Wednesday, and Friday with Felony Friday, which is what you're listening to right now. So you don't want to miss a single one of these shows. Uh, you don't want to miss a uh, Mr. Johnson's Liberty Hood, which is our newest show hosted by Brian McWilliams. He has four or five episodes out now. He's doing an excellent job of breaking down the Gary Johnson, Bill Weld Libertarian presidential campaign and grading it for the good and the bad, the Johnson and the Johnson. So be sure to check in. And uh, Brian is a very funny guy. He does some comedy in his free time. So it's a very entertaining show. I love it. So please check it out. Also, Mark Clare. Mark Clare started the Lions of Liberty podcast. He's been tearing it up for going on uh, going almost three years now. Recently, he's had on an awesome guest. And I just want to promote this again to anyone who has not listened to Mark Clare's two-part interview with Thaddeus Russell. These were episodes 236 and 237. I encourage you to, as soon as this podcast stops, if you haven't heard it yet, go back and listen to 236, 237. Check it out. You will not regret it. It's just awesome content. So please, I really want to encourage you to check that out. We do have these three episodes per week, and you don't want to have to remember to go out and go on our website or go download them every Monday, Wednesday, or Friday. You can have these shows come directly to your phone by subscribing on iTunes or Stitcher Radio or through whatever other podcatcher means you use. So please, I encourage you to do that, to subscribe to the show, especially iTunes. If you do have an iPhone, Apple product, please subscribe through iTunes and rate the show. That does help us out tremendously with our ratings on iTunes and can be another great way to help us to grow the show. So I really do encourage you to check that out. Just one last thing. If you want to get a hold of me, shoot me an email, felonyfriday at lionsofliberty.com. And uh, please, if you haven't yet, make your way over to the Felony Friday Archive, which can be found at felonyfriday.com. As always, thank you for listening. This is John Odermatt signing off. Always remember to keep your head up and the fires of liberty burning. <laughs>